0: Obviously, design is very important to me, and having a career is very important to me, but having a child is very important, and so how am I going to um, make this work? I might not be able to have a child this way, but I'm going to have a child, and I can't be denied that. I like, I just can't go back to that waiting room, Jane. And I thought, you know, I should probably do a pregnancy test because it's it's been time. But again, I hated buying them. I'd had, they were always negative, so I put it off and put it off. I'm Lizzie Heiselt.
1: I'm Valerie Best. And this is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. It's not a pregnancy podcast or a show about babies. It's a podcast about you, and these are your stories.
2: We are really excited about this podcast and the ideas and experiences we're going to share here. We have hopes and dreams of building a community, talking about important but neglected issues, and generally knocking your socks off with stories of growth and change from the ordinary, extraordinary women you rub shoulders with every day.
1: Like Mary Jane. Lizzie and I have known Mary Jane Callister and her husband, Brett Halquist, for years. We go to church with her family here in Brooklyn. And the thing I love about her story is that it's common, but like you said, Lizzie, it's so extraordinary. It's a story about passion and persistence, balance and bravery. It's a story about happy accidents role reversals, and as it turns out, a lot of guitars.
2: Right. I think Mary Jane's experience really speaks to what so many women struggle with these days, both in trying to balance the passion they have for their own talents and interests and the passion they have for motherhood and their family, and with infertility and struggling with even trying to get the family going. So uh,
1: let's get this started.
2: For sure. Let's get to it. Here's Mary Jane.
0: Um, well, I mean, I think I always, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom and have kids. And um, this is a really funny thing, but when I was um, in high school, or maybe just no, I think it was after high school. I've I found a picture in a magazine. This is really funny. Of um, it was an advertisement for Donna Karen, and it was. Um, it was in the early 90s, and it was this photograph of her in this really nice office in this really beautiful suit, and she has a phone on one ear and a baby on her hip. And I remember like, I, that just for some reason that image totally resonated with me, and I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> and so I like, ripped it out, and I put it in this binder, and it was, that, was, that was what I wanted.
1: Mary Jane had always loved art, and though it wasn't part of her vocabulary when she was a kid, as she was flipping through college catalogs, she saw the description for graphic design and illustration and was intrigued. She wasn't exactly sure what it was, but she did a lot of research and found that Brigham Young University, less than an hour away from where her family lived in Utah, had a great graphic design program.
2: She says her decision kind of broke her parents' hearts. They were big fans of rival school University of Utah. But as she went through the program and learned more and more about graphic design and typography, she felt more and more drawn to it. She felt like she was in the right place.
1: Finding the graphic design program was the first in a series of happy accidents in Mary Jane's life. The next one led her to New York and eventually to Brett, who she would eventually marry.
0: I worked in Salt Lake for a number of years and... um, what happened was a good friend of mine lived in New York and he invited me or, or no, no, no. He, I had come and stayed with him a few times, but then this job offer came up and I knew I wasn't going to take the job, but it was a free ticket to come to New York again. So, um, I'm not really an impulsive person, but I just decided, you know what, let's just go on their dime and I'll go meet this company or whatever. But I know I'm not going to take the job, but then I'll just stay longer and stay with my friend in, in New York. So um, I came, had the interview, blah, 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 and then stayed with my friend. And he said, oh, you know, actually, this woman who's a graphic designer that that works in my building is looking for somebody. And I knew who she was. I had studied her in school. Her name um, is Louise Feely. And so he, he, he saw my portfolio and said, you would be perfect for her. You have to meet her. So he called her. She was at her country house. She said, um, okay, send her over on Monday. My flight left on um, Monday afternoon. So I went to the studio on Monday. And as soon as I walked in her studio... I knew it. It was like, this is the job. This is the job that I will leave Salt Lake for and come to New York. And it was just like, I can't even express how strong that feeling was, but that was it. So I came home and, um, she called me like the next day and said, do you want to move to New York? And I didn't even, I didn't even ask her like what the salary was, (laughs) if I had benefit, nothing. It was like sure, sure, I'll come to New York. And so um, I called my parents up and said, I'm moving to New York in two months or whatever, and um, came to New York. And so anyway, she is married to, at the time, her husband was the creative director for the New York Times Book Review, Stephen Heller. So they're like this powerhouse design couple. And I went to a party and um, met Brett at the party and found out that he was an illustrator and he just happened to be working on a project for her husband for the New York Times Book Review. And so I think suddenly we had a certain credibility with each other because he was like, okay, she's a graphic, she really is a graphic designer. And I was like, okay, he really is an illustrator. Again, right? Just yeah, like happy, happy accident. accident. And so, um, and Brett always likes to joke that you would have never liked me in Utah. You had to move to New York <laughs> yeah. to like me. <laughs> Is he right? So probably, there's probably a little anyway. But but it's funny because we were at school the same time, but I was ahead of him a few years, and so our just, our paths never crossed. But we knew all the same professors, and you know had this whole sort of history. Yeah. But yeah. Um, sort of parallel history. Yeah, yeah. But then. Um, Yeah, but met here.
2: So she up and moved to New York City, where she worked with Louise, who became her close friend and mentor. Louise taught her to cook, threw her a bridal shower, and gave her a sewing machine when she and Brett tied the knot. The two of them are still really close. Mary Jane worked for her for a few years before moving to Martha Stewart, where she became the deputy design director. While she was there, she and Brett decided it was time to try to have a baby. She was 31 at the time and feeling like they couldn't afford to put it off for too long. But while Mary Jane knew she always wanted to be a mom, she was really concerned about how
0: the baby and the career would work together. I certainly thought about it a lot. And um, constantly thinking about, okay, you know, obviously design is very important to me and having a career is very important to me. But, you know, um, having a child is very important, and so how am I going to um, make this work? And so I thought a lot about, well, I'll work part-time, and um, I mean, I had come up with all these scenarios about how it was going to work, and I think um, after all said and done, going back, I would say oh, there was a lot of time wasted on trying, not wasted because we were trying to get pregnant, but just I wasted so much energy thinking about how I was going to make it all work out. And really, you never know how it's going to all work out until you actually have the child and, you know, everything changes.
1: But it took a long time before things actually did change. She and Brett tried for a couple of years and nothing was happening. So they took the first step, just a small one not knowing how far down the path of reproductive technology they'd end up traveling.
0: So I had a really close friend who, um, had done IVF and, yeah, you know, I told her that, you know, we just hadn't had any luck getting pregnant. And she had said to me, I think you really need a reproductive endocrinolo- endocrinologist, and I hadn't, I didn't even know what that was. I'd never heard of that. Uh, so you know, at that point, we just decided, Brett and I decided, okay, well, let's go meet with the doctor and, and see what happens. And I seriously thought that, oh, we'll go meet with him, he'll help us for a month or whatever, and we'll take some Clomid, and, you know, that'll be it. Never in a million years thought IVF would be be the answer. I mean, that was like the very end, that was like the last resort, so anyway, we met with the doctor, and, and, and he seemed to think that we would have success. I mean, I had unexplained infertility, which in some ways is comforting because you know there's no there's reason why you can't get pregnant. You should be able to get pregnant. But on the other hand, it's really frustrating because because there is no reason. You, there's, like, nothing you can do, but you just have to keep trying. We were, I think we must have worked with him for... I don't know, I guess probably at least a couple of years and did two rounds of IVF. And, and before you got to IVF, what other treatments? What did we do? So first we just did, we started off really, um, non-aggressive. So we just did Clomid and then we did, um, oh boy, now I have to remember all, (laughs) this was like nine years ago. Sorry, this wasn't in your notes. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. I have to consult my notes. Um. Yeah. So we did Clomid, then we did artificial insemination. We did, I don't remember how many of those three or something. And then that didn't work. So then we did artificial insemination with all of the infertility or all the hormone drugs. Um, so I must've done, I don't know, maybe three rounds like that. Um, I can't remember the exactly how many rounds but it was a long process I mean really the doctor did was really conservative like we did not jump into IVF at all we kept doing stuff and then finally after that last round of um, artificial insemination with the drugs didn't work that's when he suggested IVF and I do remember clearly being in this group of with other patients um Learning about IVF and learning how to administer all the shots because I I, I think now you don't have to do as many shots. I, I I don't know. I think I was talking to someone recently and some things have changed. But at that time, yeah, everything was injections and we had to practice on. You know, Brett had to practice on oranges and stuff. And I remember just sitting there um, and in a way, in a bit of denial, like well, we're really not going to have to do this because there's no reason why we would be doing this. And uh, we're just kind of learning, but it's going to happen. We're just going to get pregnant. So I still, even then, was like not, didn't, it was hard to believe that we were really doing that and having to go to those lengths to have a baby.
1: It turned out that during that time, having a job, a career that she loved to do was kind of a lifesaver for Mary Jane in a couple of ways. Not only did Martha Stewart have great insurance that covered all of the treatments, but she had a really supportive and understanding
0: environment. I feel really fortunate. I've always worked for women, and um, uh, I've had these amazing women that have been part of my life. And um, so I had a woman who was uh, the design director, who was my boss, and she was really supportive of it. And, um, so I really didn't have any trouble with that because she was, she was supportive of me and, um, I had to go to a lot of doctor's appointments and that, that was okay. That was fine. And then I also had a good friend at the company who happened to be going to the same doctor I was. And so that was really great because I could go into her office and, and, we shed many tears in that office. But, but but the other thing that it was really great is I had a really great job, and the insurance was great, and so they paid almost 100% of it. And I think that I had, like, three rounds that they would pay for. And so it was never a financial strain on us, which, looking back, had I not had that, it would have been really, really tough. So...
2: Still, even with all the financial and moral support Mary Jane had at work, it was a draining process, and while her career provided something to focus on and something to keep her occupied while she went through the endless months of treatments, it wasn't always a lifesaver. In fact, there was a moment when she almost wanted to throw it out the window.
0: This was when we were when uh, we were in the midst of all the infertility stuff, and um, during all that, you had to have your blood taken every three days or whatever. I don't know. So I would, luckily, I lived um, in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. I would go to the doctor; they were also on the Upper East Side. Really, like a really early appointment on my way to work. So I would go to the doctor, and then I would go to work. And now, when I look back on it, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine juggling all of that. But somehow, somehow, I did. I had just come from the doctor's. I was I worked on um, 42nd Street right by um, Bryant Park, right there, a really busy area. Um, just got out of Grand Central Station, I was walking toward work. I can't remember now if I saw someone who was pregnant or if I was just looking at all these other women who were dressed for work and we were all heading to work, but I had this moment where it, it was just like, I don't want this anymore. I just want a child. Like, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be just going to work. Like all these, it was either, I can't remember the details, and that's what, I can't remember whether it was that, and I was looking at all these one other women and saying, this is what I don't want anymore, I just want to have a child, I want to be a mom, I don't want to be doing this, or whether it was the woman who was pregnant, and it was like, I just want that, that's what I want, but it was just one of those moments where I knew I didn't want what I had, I wanted something different, and more than anything, I wanted something different, and for so long, I had wanted the other thing, but now I wanted something completely different that was sort of the moment where everything changed.
1: We all know, of course, that just because you want something, even if you want it with your whole soul, even if you put your entire self into it, that doesn't mean you're going to get it. And with further Mary Jane and Brett went down the path of fertility treatments, the more it seemed like it just wasn't going to happen. Like they may never have a baby.
0: There was a point when I I thought this isn't going to work, and I just might not be able to have a child this way. And that was after the first time we did IVF, the first round didn't work. I mean, obviously it was devastating and especially devastating because you get the results that it didn't work, you know, via voicemail on the phone. And, um, you know, I remember sobbing with Brett, just sobbing, sobbing. And, um, you know obviously those thoughts of why why how can you want something so much and have it be so right and it's so seemingly easy for so many people but we can't get it and there's just nothing we can do to get it and it's a good thing that we want but there's nothing we can do and um so I remember feeling feeling that those feelings and yeah it's I mean it it's so sad it's just so sad At that point, I thought to myself, um, okay, well, maybe this isn't the only way, and maybe I have to rethink this, and that sort of, there was a part of me that um, there is a sort of feistiness there, and I felt like, okay, well, I might not be able to have a child this way, but I'm going to have a child, and I can't be denied that, so I can adopt, and I can still be a mother, like, I can still experience that and do that nobody is going to deny me that it just might not be in the way we want and when we really had to address that it there probably would have been some soul searching and there probably would have been a lot of sadness and things that i would have had to work through but i didn't have to go too deep into that i did, it was just i just remember distinctively when those thoughts came to me like okay okay you know i there, there are other ways to, to be mother, what other ways to accomplish this, you know. But I would have been, obviously, devastated.
2: We're going to pause here and take a quick break, but when we come back, what a lot of guitars have to do with having a baby and what it's like to have your husband tell you you're pregnant. So stay tuned.
1: She breaks down the cost of the treatment. Per, this is per dose.
2: The IVF process.
1: The Progesterone, $2.26.
2: First of all, IVF stands for in vitro fertilization.
1: Delestrogen, $9.75.
2: In vitro is
1: in glass. Lupron, $23.49.
2: This is fertilization that does not happen in the womb. Menoper,
1: $60.23. in a petri dish. Ganerolex, $65.70.
2: You have to go back in and get them put into your uterus. HCG,
1: $225.05.
2: That takes place two to five days after they collect the eggs and sperm.
1: And blastim, $1, $1,172.00. So the total cost of one IVF cycle is $24,404.26. This information has been very generously provided by a friend of mine named Becky Foster-Bean, who recently went through four rounds of IVF, which is what was covered by her insurance. But she also adds that after four cycles, the statistical probability of Getting pregnant via IVF is basically nothing. we're back with Mary Jane's story. She was just telling us about how feisty and determined she was about becoming a mom, one way or another, but also how discouraged she was feeling about the IVF process. The first round hadn't worked. She'd gotten that news over a voicemail. As she went into her second round of IVF, she tried to put some emotional distance between her and the results.
0: So what happened was that first time didn't work. We still had some frozen embryos. We were going to do another round using those, and I knew that the success rate wasn't as high with that so Brett and I had said well okay let's just do this probably not gonna work it's not that I wasn't invested but I think I didn't let myself get as invested emotionally in it if you got pregnant you needed to keep taking something and I was almost out and I had told Brett he was like well I'll you know, refill the prescription or whatever. And I was like, no, don't, don't even worry about it. Don't do it. So I think it was the day that we were going to find out. He actually, Brett actually is the one who told me I was pregnant because he called me on the phone and said, "Congratulations, Mary Jane, you're pregnant." And um, I was like, "What?" And he said, "Yeah, I called the doctor because I decided I was going to renew that prescription, and they told me." So he called me and told me. So it was such a funny thing that, I mean, he's telling me, <laughs> you're pregnant. I was just, my mind was just like, it's not going to work. We're not going to get more of the medicine. We'll just wait for that phone call saying it didn't work. And then he had kind of gone ahead. and
2: Well, how fun for him to be able to break that news to you. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's a funny story.
1: I think that may be one of my favorite parts of the story, that Brett got to break the news. But the positive result was just a step in the process, an important step, obviously, but it wasn't the end of the road for the next couple of months. Mary Jane and Brett were still on pins and needles as they waited to get out of the tenuous first trimester.
0: There was a lot of worry, I was really worried about it, but I guess optimistic, yeah you know, but yeah every every appointment was was worrisome, and then finally, I mean, I could just always hope that that heartbeat's still there every time you go. And I can't remember when you actually get released, but I do remember when, I, when the heartbeat was there. It had been X amount of weeks, and you get released. And walking out of the um, doctor's office into the waiting room, and I had been there long enough that the practice had definitely gotten much busier. And I do remember walking out into that waiting room, and there, there's like this sea of women and they're all there. And everyone's sad, you know. It's a very sad place to be. And I remember feeling like such a traitor. Because it was like, I got this, you know. And yeah, it was a weird feeling to kind of be graduating. And and I do remember when I went to just like a regular um, doctor after that point. Like at first, it was a shock to me that I was no longer this special case. I was pregnant now. So I was just a normal pregnant woman and and no special treatment but I've been so used to all this like walking on eggshells careful stuff and then then I was just you know just a pregnant woman and I was in a normal office and yeah
1: did you did you miss the community that you had at the other
0: office um no not really not really I didn't. I mean, I didn't feel really sentimental about the office or things like that. It's pretty invasive, you know. I mean, you're poked and prodded, and I had always, um, before that point, hated. I mean, who likes to go to like the doctor, right? I but I particularly hated that, and so to spend like x amount of years being examined, you know, in that way and stuff, it's not fun. I was happy to be leaving. I mean, the doctors were great, and, but I didn't feel particularly sentimental.
2: The rest of the pregnancy was uneventful. Frances was born full-term, healthy, and beautiful. But aside from having a child to raise, Brett and Mary Jane kept a few other mementos of their years of trying to become parents, both physical and mental reminders of what they went through and what they learned about themselves.
0: Something that's kind of a funny little story that is a reminder to me of that whole process. So I, I've always hated getting shots, And so I had to have a lot of shots, and there were a lot of shots that were... relatively small but it's interesting because I grew up my mom is diabetic and she had to take insulin with shots growing up and so in some ways I felt like I gained a lot of empathy for my mom because suddenly you know I was getting shots every day and so there was this weird connection that happened there but at any rate once I got pregnant Brett had to give me these progesterone shots which now I don't think i don't think you have to do as many of them or something, but um, the needles were really long i mean they were like i mean i 'm not exaggerating when I say they were like three inches long and they were and they were thick and 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 the doctor like draws an x on you where you know whoever's giving you the shot has to get them, you know, and the doctor of course was like. You know, I suggest take just drinking a glass of wine before the first time you do it to just calm your nerves and whatever. And actually, I think Brett and I were like, "Should we really do that?" But anyway, so you have to do those, and you have to do those for a, a while, for a long amount of time. You know, um, up until you—I think up until the heartbeat's really strong or whatever—it's it's, a—it's a good chunk of time. And you're sore. You have to ice up. I had to ice before. And then do a heating pad after. Anyway, but I've kept one of those um, syringes because it's just a reminder to me that it's like I did that. I did that. If I did that, I can do anything. I did that. So anyway, I yeah, I've held on to one of those. Just- wow. That is
1: kind of yes. amazing. Well, yeah. you know, just kind of a reminder of that tenacity that you talked about. That you know, things that you were sort of naturally disposed to not like yeah you just yeah. powered through yeah
0: yeah totally totally it was like you do what you have to do i mean you want a baby that badly you do it you have to do it
1: so mary jane has her needle evidence of her tenacity and what she is capable of doing when she wants to she has a greater empathy for her mom and for all whose path to parenthood is long and winding and brett had his own souvenirs <laughs> souvenirs that mary jane didn't even know about until francis was around a year old actually
0: I don't know, a a year later or so after, after, um, I had Francis, I needed to go to Brett's studio for something. And he said to me, he got all flustered and was like, okay, we can go to the studio. It was kind of a last minute thing, drop in. And he was like, okay, but I have to tell you something. You just have to be prepared. And, uh, he said, while we were going through all that IVF stuff, I bought a lot of guitars (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) um, So we talked about it, and he didn't have anyone to talk to. And he was just there in the studio by himself going through all of this. And, yeah, I had to go through all the physical part of it, but it was really hard for him too. And, I mean, he had to give me all those shots, you know, and he was totally just as invested. So, anyway, he spent a lot of money on guitars, and I talked to my friend at uh, work.
1: So wait, how many guitars were there? Do you, have a, do you recall a number?
0: I don't know, maybe like five or something, and an amp, and, you know, a few, no, a few amps, you know. And, and does he still have those guitars? Um, I, some of them, some of them, not all of them. I mean, I don't think they were necessarily all high quality. I think they were just very sort of like, Spur of the moment purchases. Emotional purchases.
1: <laughs> totally emotional purchases. That's yeah. amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it didn't
1: cost yeah. a lot medically. Right. But <laughs> the guitar cost was quite high. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I I mean, Brett, he works alone, right? He yeah. just has his studio. So I imagine that was very, very isolating for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And looking back on that now, you know, at the time, I didn't, I don't think I understood that. Um, but now looking back on it, I realize how difficult that must have been for him. And, and now I just think a lot of, I think I understand more just about um, what it's like at work for him and, and working alone, because now I work by myself at home. Um so I I kind of get that more what it is like to to work alone and be isolated like that and so now I do I think feel like I just feel more empathy I think now for that whole situation that I just wasn't aware of at the time. Mm-hmm.
2: So they had their baby, they found out what they were capable of enduring, and maybe they got lucky too with that second round of IVF. But of course, the pregnancy, the birth, the baby was just one part of the vision that Mary Jane had been holding onto since high school. And now that the baby was here, safe and sound, she was intent on keeping her other passion alive as well.
1: All the planning and scenarios she went through while she was trying to get pregnant were put to the test when her maternity leave was up.
0: I knew, well, I knew long-term I didn't want to keep working the way I was working because I worked late. I mean, I worked every night until, I would say, eight or nine every night. I mean, I just, they worked a lot on weekends. I worked a lot. And um, I knew I didn't want that, obviously, I knew that I would probably leave or go part-time or something, but I, I knew that I wanted to go back full-time for um, at least a month so that I would have leverage with them. I felt like if I just left for maternity leave and never came back, then I wouldn't have any leverage because I had just left. But if I came back, and said, hmm, I tried, but it's not going to work, then I felt like they'd be more willing to work with me in some capacity. So I went back for five weeks. It was really hard. Luckily, again, I had, um, by this time, I had a different boss, also a woman, also supportive, sweet. I remember the first day going back to work, being in tears, you know, all the pumping, um, using my boss's office to pump, all that kind of stuff. She knew it was hard. I was leaving at five and stuff, which I'd never done. And I mean, I did think about it a little bit like, well, can I stay? Can I stay? And I just knew that, that I couldn't. And, and also just, it was a mentally really demanding job. And I just thought, I just can't do this. And so I stayed for five weeks and then told them I was leaving, but said, but I, I would really like to continue working in some capacity, just I can't do this job. And then they immediately said, well, we have a special issue. It's not Living Magazine, but... Martha Stewart would also do these special issues that were usually themed around a holiday that would come out. So they said, we have a Christmas holiday issue that someone needs to do that and put that together. Would you be willing to work on that? And I was a little bit nervous about taking it on because it was a big project. But um, after talking to my boss about it, it, it seemed like I could do it. So that's what I did. So I did that for a couple of years, worked on just special Mm -hmm. projects it didn't require me to be in the office all the time slowly I started doing less and less there because ultimately I always have wanted to have my own studio or my own thing because then I would have control over my schedule and my time and I think that's how I always thought I would make it work is if I could work for myself then I would have flexibility I never thought well I'm going to come back and work I'm going to climb back on that ladder at Martha Stewart and keep climbing Um, I always knew that that part of my life was was going to close and I would do my own thing and so Eventually, I started doing less, and then I started getting my own projects. Then finally, I felt like I was using that, ju- that doing stuff for them as a little bit of a crutch, not finding my own work, and it was time to phase it out, so I finally just kind of phased it out.
1: About three years later, Mary Jane was pregnant again, this time without any interventions.
0: I mean, we did have to work, work, like, I definitely used, like, an ovulation kit and stuff, and we planned things out, and and we had some months of that, so it wasn't just um, totally random, but but it was really easy, I mean, it was easy, you know, and it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, I can't believe that it's that simple. But also, with Henry, um, because I had unexplained fertility, there was part of me that thought, There's no reason why I can't get pregnant. I've had one. I should be able to have another one. So there was always this part of me that felt like I could just do it. I should be able to do it. My body knew what to do. It could do it. So anyway, I had that. But then, um, so every month I would, you know, whatever, when we started trying for Henry, I would try and it wouldn't work. And I would buy those pregnancy tests. And I spent so much money on those stupid pregnancy tests. And it got to be to the point where um, I remember I just... Like I did, I stopped buying them, but, but with Henry, we tried and tried and we did the ovulation kits. And then, um, I had an appointment to go to the doc. We, I talked Brett into going to the doctor and we had canceled one month and I, and we were both like, let's just try one more time. Let's just do the ovulation kit and try one more time. I had the doctor's appointment and then right before the doctor's appointment, I thought, you know, I should probably do a pregnancy test because it's, it's been time. But, again, I hated buying them. I'd had They were always negative, so I put it off and put it off. And it was like the day before we were supposed to go, and I thought I better do a pregnancy test because they're going to ask me if I've started my period, and when I say no, they're going to. And anyway, I did the pregnancy test, and it was positive. And then I remember calling Brett and being like, the pregnancy test was positive but I couldn't really believe that it had really worked and he was like well it, if it's positive Mary Jane because I was like but don't get excited because I don't you know I don't know for sure and he's like what do you mean you don't know for sure it's positive that means it works making that phone call to the doctor was really great the next day and saying guess what now we're not coming because we're pregnant and then that's when I felt like wow it just worked like it worked like it was supposed to work it's yeah. amazing it's a miracle
2: Frances and Henry are six and nine now, both in school while Mary Jane works from home and is there to pick them up from school. When she looks back on the years she spent trying to get pregnant, the year she was a self proclaimed workaholic, she really has no regrets. I
0: look back at that and um, think about that yeah that juggle and and my job at the time was very stressful it was really stressful. I mean I think on one in in one sense, it was helpful to have that job because it definitely kept my mind occupied. And I also felt, um, I think the other thing for me is I had something else in my life that I really cared about and that I really loved. And so even though I knew there was this chance that it wouldn't work and that would be heartbreaking, I always knew that I had another part of my life that I did feel really fulfilled in, and I always had that. So there was always this part of me that was like, well if the having a child thing isn't going to work, then I'm just going to be the best damn graphic designer there is, you know? I-
1: yeah, we know. But that's the struggle of life, right? To find a way to do what you love, do it the best you can. But most of us have to spread our energy out a little. We can't spend it all in one place. Accepting those limitations and being flexible with your energy, that's a real challenge.
0: I do love being a mother. The decisions that I made all along were because I did want to be a mother. Honestly, there's nothing that makes me happier than going and picking my kids up from school. I love doing that, you know, and I love being in their school and being able to help and be involved in that there is that part of my life that I do really love. And Brett has said to me, um you know, if you want to go back to work full time, you know, if he's totally behind me 100% and he's like, we can find a babysitter, we can do that. I just can't. There's just part of me that I can't because I want to be able to look at their homework when they come home and help them with it and go to the library after school and pick out books and sign up for field trips. And there is that part of me that, I mean, I love that. And I wouldn't, want to give that up and so that I think is the struggle that I do deal with is I want two things really badly you know I I love that you know and then that it worked out and I'm grateful because that's that ultimately is more important to me than my career hands down any day you know so the end
2: That's our episode for today. Many thanks to Mary Jane for sharing her story, and Brett, and Francis, and Henry.
1: And thanks to Ben Howell for the music, and Ryan, rock star Ryan Barnhart for editing this thing.
2: And Micah for doing the website and everything else. And everything else.
1: <laughs> and thanks to all of you for listening and sharing your stories. I'm Valerie Best.
2: And I'm Lizzie Heiselt. This is Cocoon Stories of Gestation.
1: And remember, this isn't a podcast about pregnancy. These are stories about you.
2: So if you have a story to share, go to our website, cocoonstories.com, and click the share your story button, or join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cocoonstories, Twitter at cocoon underscore stories, or Instagram at cocoon stories no underscore.
1: We're here for you, and we hope you'll be here for us in two weeks when we share Annie and Ben's story. It's a story about friendship, cancer, and birthday parties split
2: in two. Catch you later.